Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. Hear now the word of the living God. Therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Welcome to everyone. Um, we're, we're glad to be gathered together tonight. And we have a theme that as uh, we had gotten together to talk about what we wanted to focus on on Good Friday, the theme was United by Blood. You've probably seen that logo and the thing that we're talking about in this text deals with it. And as I was uh, thinking about it, I remember back a number of years ago, uh, I went on a trip to Niger in Africa. And on the way, uh, that, on the way that we were uh, coming back from there, we had to stop in Casablanca in Morocco. And we went to a mosque in Casablanca. It is massive. It's the seventh largest mosque in the world. It can hold 105,000 people for prayer. 25,000 inside and 80,000 in the court that surrounds it. And we were there walking around near the court and then we tried to go inside. And when we did, we were met by some people who told us we were, we were not allowed to go inside. And I said, you don't understand, we're Americans. And we, we said, is there a problem? They said, well, there's prayers going on inside. You, you're, you're not allowed to go inside while we're offering prayers, which is interesting because I've been in other mosques during prayer time. They allowed us, but in Casablanca, they would not allow us to do that because we were not uh, worthy. We were not a part of their group. We, we were unclean, and we were to stay outside. We could view the mosque, but we were not allowed into the mosque. 
And this actually reminds me of the ancient temple in Jerusalem because you might listen to that and think, oh, look at the way Islam is. If you and I had walked up to the temple in Jerusalem, you'd have been greeted the same way. There were barriers. There were things that did not allow us to go. It had visible structures to remind us how we were alienated from God and how we were alienated from one another, how we were alienated as Jew and Gentile. And so I'm going to talk about that for a few minutes tonight. The text here begins with our alienation. We are alienated from God and from one another. And notice the picture here in verses 11 and 12. Paul's writing, he says, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. Now, the majority of people in Ephesus were Gentiles. And he's, he's writing to them, and he says, I'm going to make some special points even relative to you. And he says that you were, remember at that time you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from God. That's actually true of all of us, but Paul's specifically speaking of the Gentiles so that we can understand the position we were in. We were alienated from God. There was a wall that said, you may not enter. And he goes on and says, you were not only separated from Christ, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Now that may not seem like a big deal to you and I, but what it meant was you weren't even in the context where you were hearing about the grace of God. You weren't in the context to understand that you were even separated from God. In fact, if you were not part of Israel, if you were not part of the commonwealth, if you were not part of those covenants of promise, you were probably worshiping, worshiping eons of gods. Gods by the thousands, none of whom were the real God, and none of whom could put you into contact with the real God, that was our position. And so notice what Paul says there, uh, that we had no hope and were without God in the world. There at the end of verse 12, he's summarizing, he's saying, I want you to understand the depth of this. You were separated from Christ. You were not part of the commonwealth of Israel. You had nothing to do with the covenants of promise. And so the summary of this is you had no hope and you were without God in the world. Now, we could go back to our scripture readings earlier, and you were so without hope, you were dead. And, and dead men, in case you haven't noticed, don't help themselves. There's nothing they can do to help themselves. And so Paul didn't begin by saying, you were in a little trouble. He said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were so dead, you were separated from Christ. You were outside of Israel. You had no hope to the covenant's promise. You had no reason to have hope whatsoever. Ever. That is the position into which every one of us in this room were born. It was the position of the people of Israel. But then there's another thing that Paul brings up here, which is the fruit. The root of it is our alienation to God, but that alienation works out uh, in daily life in an alienation from other people. We are hostile to each other. Notice in the text here in verse 11, and then I'll skip down to 14 and 15, he gives a little hint. You know, you were called the uncircumcision, and the ESV has put it in quotes there because it's a derogatory term. When a Jew called you the uncircumcision, that was not like saying, hey, this is a thing you want to be called, okay? This is a derogatory term. You're from the wrong side of the tracks. You're, you're those people that are not circumcised. And then that works out, notice 
in verses 14 and 15, he starts talking about uh, that Jesus has made us both one has broken down his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, you can argue about there, there's actually two places this could be in the temple. One of them was the curtain, actually, that separated out from the Holy of Holies. And we know when Jesus was crucified, that curtain was rent. But there was actually another wall that I think is what Paul's talking about here. And that was the wall that separated Jews from Gentiles. Jews were allowed inside that wall. Gentiles were not. Because notice he calls it a dividing wall of hostility. And he mentions abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Jesus did not abolish the law by his death. Okay, he said, I came to keep the law. Not one jot and tittle is going to work. But what he did do is the ceremonial law, that thing that separates, that included things like circumcision, that has been fulfilled and is no more. And so that dividing wall is what Paul has got uh, there going on. And you have to remember that temple is very much like that mosque I mentioned. It's huge. It took them 80 years to build the temple in Jerusalem. And there's a massive outer court area. It was three quarters of a mile around the perimeter. That's how big the Temple Mount area is. But if you were a Gentile and you said, well, I'm not part of Israel. I'm, I'm alienated from all this. I've never been part of it. But I would like to learn about it. You get inside and you run into a four and a half foot wall and they have found a bunch of these signs. The signs, there were 13 huge stone plaques. So you couldn't miss them. And here was the welcome you received. No foreigner is to enter within the forecourt and the balustrade around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. Have a good day. Okay. We're going to institute that with our welcoming group outside in our lobby, right, on Sunday. Uh, see, you, you realize, like, wow, that's, that's a little bit of alienation here. We're, we're not allowed in there. If you remember the Apostle Paul who penned these words to the Ephesians, he was in prison because they thought he had violated this law. He had actually not violated that law, but they thought he had, and that was what put Paul on his way to Rome in prison, was actually that charge. So you want to talk about a dividing wall of hostility. What if we came in tonight and we put a big wall and we said, all the cross point people, y'all sit in the back, you know, and we had plaques. If you come here, beyond here, you're, you're blamed for your own death. I think that would probably be the last meeting we would do together, right? <laughs> See, that's what they had there in the temple. It's, it's doing it, it's specifically speaking of Jews and Gentiles. But the reality is, it wasn't just Jews and Gentiles were alienated from one another. When we are alienated from God, we are always alienated from one another. Go back to the fall in Genesis 3. Adam sinned. You remember? Before the sin, what, what does he say when he sees Eve? Oh, oh, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Then God comes after the sin and says, Adam, did you eat it? And what does he say? It was her. <laughs> she did it. It's the woman you gave me, God. And it's not in the text, but Eve probably said, we're having a conversation in a few minutes. <laughs> as soon as I get you home, we're going to talk about this. Why is that in the text? It's in the text because we need to see the first fruit out of our alienation with God is alienation with one another. They immediately start hiding from one another. They realize they're naked. They try and make clothing. They can't do it. And so this is continued all the way from the fall down to the present. 
We are a people who naturally alienate from one another. We segregate. We segregate by race. We segregate by status. We segregate by wealth. Within the church, sadly, this still happens in God's temple. We may not put a physical wall up, but within the church, we segregate by, well, you don't do exactly what we do when we do this. We alienate. It is what we have done from the beginning, and we need to understand it's the fruit of sin. It's the fruit of our alienation from God. That is why we do this. We act alienated from one another. So, Paul moves on. Thanks be to God. Isn't it good to know that we don't stop there? <laughs> that would, this would not be Good Friday if that's where it stops. But Paul goes on and tells us what Jesus has done. And the fact is, he restores unity by his blood. This is why his blood is so important for us. First, he restores our unity with God because that's the root cause. If you're not united back to God, there can't be hope for uniting with one another. And so he says he restores our unity with, with God. Notice in verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Remember before, we were not near. We were far away. We were outside Israel. But he says, no, look, Jesus has now brought you near. And in verse 16, he says that God is reconciling us both to God in one body through the cross. And in verse 17, he's preaching peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. All of this happens by the blood of cross. I just heard a, a thing today where they were talking about a theologian who very not helpfully has claimed that our problem is we really think Jesus had to die to appease the wrath of God. That's our problem, according to this theologian, who is, I marvel, like, wow, I don't know what you're being paid for because you don't understand the most basic thing that the Scripture teaches. You and I were cut off from God. And Paul here is quite clear. We're brought near by the blood of Christ. He reconciles us through the cross. Apart from the cross, apart from the blood of Christ, there is no hope, there is no reconciliation, there is no removal of the alienation between us and God. And notice how these terms here are relational terms. When he speaks of reconciliation, when he speaks of peace to us, and this, this idea of hostility, all of those are relational terms. Formerly, we were not reconciled. Now we are. Formerly, there was hostility. Now there is peace. So Paul summarizes then in verse 18, saying that Jesus has restored our unity with God. For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Let me stop for a second. That's an amazing verse. You and I are in here. We, we sang and we're going to continue singing. In a few minutes, we're going to come to the table. And you were not only not able to do that, you weren't even close to being able to do that. Nor was I. We were far from God. We were dead. And Jesus has brought us to the Father. That is something to celebrate. Now, the good news is, it even goes beyond that because that 
fruit of our alienation was an alienation with one another, and the fruit of the restoration back to God is unity with other people. So notice in verse 14 and 15, he says, For he himself is our peace, uh, who has made the both one. And then notice that at the end, he says, So making peace. Again, so he mentions peace twice. You don't, you don't have to go to seminary to figure this out. When they keep repeating words or they start and conclude a section with the word, they're trying to tell you, pay attention. This is important. There is peace now. And this peace is not just between us and God. Notice it says that it's peace who has made us both one. And in his flesh has broken down that dividing wall of hostility. What he's saying is in the temple, there's no more four-foot wall saying, you all stay out. Now we all gather together. Now we all have access to God. Those commandments, those ordinances, those ceremonial laws that, that separate us and broke us are gone. And Paul actually tells us, notice in verse 15, that there is one new man in place of the two. That's how we know he's not right now talking about our relationship with God. That's already been resolved. According to him, he's now talking about our relationship with one another. There were two people. There was a, a wall that was right there in the temple. You could see, and Paul said, all that's gone. All that is broken down. We are now one. And so peace and hostility and, and dividing wall, all of these point to the, the relationship between us and other humans. And so this actually becomes the basis for the church's existence. Notice how Paul concludes this in verses 19 to 22. Remember, we were far away. We were not part of Israel. We were not part of the covenant. Now listen to what Paul says. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're not on the other side of the wall. But you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are members of the household of God. Down in verse 21, he speaks of being joined together into a, and growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Notice, he speaks that you are fellow citizens. We're one nation. He speaks and says that you are members of God's house. We are part of the same family. And there is a temple that is there. One nation, one family, one temple. That is what the church is. Whatever way you look at it, you want to talk to the, about the church as a family, there's one family. You want to talk about the church as the nation of God, there's one nation. You want to talk about the church as the temple, there's one temple. Not many. We are all part of God's people. And notice that phrase there that we are actually being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God dwells in us, not a building. It's not about a building, it's about us. And it is us together. Bay Ridge, Cross Point, but not just Bay Ridge and Cross Point. We need to be looking for, praying for, encouraging believers in every single local congregation where the Holy Spirit comes and dwells. We need to pray for God to bless them. There isn't competition between us. There's not, if there is competition and disunity, then we're trying to undo what Jesus died to do. We're trying to undo what Good Friday was about. I, I was reminded even today this isn't in this text, but you remember, what is the last thing Jesus was praying for as they came to arrest him to take him to the cross? What was, what was the last thing? Father, may they be one, just like you and I are one. Me and them, and you and me, and, and them and us, may they be one. Now, work with me for a second. If you are the eternal son of God, 
And it is your last free moment to speak what you want. How important do you think that would be? I mean, if I knew that I was going to get arrested in 20 minutes, I, I, would be, I would be taking care of business, things that were really important to me. The last prayer we have from Jesus before he gets on the cross. Now, when he's on the cross, he prays, you know, Father, take my spirit, Father, forgive them. But the last prayer he prays is about us being one. It is so important to God. So how do we apply this? It's very simple. Uh, and the worship team can go ahead and start getting ready. How do we apply it? Number one, do I see the alienation that's brought by my sin? Friends, a sense of alienation from God is not a figment of your imagination. It's not something that our culture put on you. It's not a holdover from religion when you're young. There's a very simple reason why you felt alienated from God. Because you were. That's why you felt alienated from God. It was real. Sin actually separated us from God, and it made us hostile to God and His ways. Maybe when Paul looks at it, he says, we, we were hostile. We were children of disobedience. We are shut off. We were not interested in God. That was our status. And this alienation is the root of all other alienation. It's the root of all the ills we have in our society, that if you click on the news and you see all of the pain and problems, it is all rooted back in our alienation from God. And therefore, sin is what is alienating you and I from one another. We are personally alienated, and we are tempted to alienate by groups. Every one of us is going to face this. We think but what, what God really wants is everybody to be like me. Let's admit it. That's what we all think. Not that you think they should be like me. You all know better than that. That's what we all want to do. So we, we like people that look and think and talk and have similar backgrounds to us. But amazingly enough, is that how God made everything? Seems to not be the way he made it. In fact, there's some metaphors. Somebody help me out. What are some of the metaphors of the church? There's one about being the body. And what's the whole point of that metaphor in 1 Corinthians 12? That we're all different. That, that is the point. God seems to like it that way. But sin tempts us to be alienated from one another. And it is that alienation from God and from one another that brought about the death of Christ. The reason... He hung on the tree. The reason the sacred head was wounded was your sin and mine. That's why he was wounded. That's why the grief was there, the pain was there, and that's why we gather to reflect on Good Friday. And friends, let, let, let me just say something. It's really important. We evangelicals like to celebrate. We don't like to mourn. We need to learn to mourn. It is our sin that put him there. And it's good for us to reflect on that. Because if you don't understand the depths, you really don't get the glory of what's been done for you and me. And so that's the first thing. Do we really understand that? And then secondly, and this is the glory, do we see the unity that's been brought by Christ's blood? His atoning death has restored you to God. You are not a second-class citizen, no matter who you are. If you are here and you are a believer, you have direct, open access to God the Father. 
There is no one here who has special access. It's not like, well, there are people, you know, and then we've got kind of like elders and then missionaries, and then there are the people we call saints. Who in here is a saint, a set-apart one? Everybody. Christ blood. See, that's not a statement about you or me. It's a statement about what Jesus has done. What he has done by his blood has shattered all of the alienation. It is broken. It is gone. You no longer need to hide from God. Genesis 3 is undone. We can now be open. Friends, God knows who you are. He sees your nakedness whether you try to cover it with fig leaves or not. He knows who you and I are. And the amazing thing is he loves us because of the blood of Christ. It has united us back to God. This is the greatest gift imaginable. And so as you take tonight and even tomorrow, think on that. That's why we gather and we celebrate. The good news of Christ walking out of the tomb is it has secured our access and relationship to God now and forever. Nothing and no one can ever take it away. No one. They can pass whatever law they want. You and I can be restricted. They can do whatever they want. No one can restrict you from access to God because Christ has secured that. But there is a second thing, and please remember this even as we come to the table tonight. The fruit of that, just like the alienation had a fruit of alienation with others, the fruit of being restored to God is supposed to be that we're restored to one another. It's what Jesus prayed for and it is also what he accomplished. He broke that wall down. He didn't just potentially break it down. He broke it down. It is gone. And so if there is alienation, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, it's because you and I are building the wall back up. Because the alienation is not there. And there is no reason for it. If we understand how accepted we are by God, if we understand how the blood of Christ has united us to the Father, I don't need to be alienated from you because I'm not jockeying for position. I don't need to compare myself. I, don't need to do it. I can be accepting because God has accepted me. Our debt for sin has been paid in full. We can walk in humility and unity with those whom God has restored to himself. That is the, the joy, of the, the fruit that flows out of what Christ has done. And this unity with God and with one another, again, is not just potential. It is real unity that has really been accomplished by the blood of Christ. So my encouragement tonight as you go out, do not let the enemy steal what has been paid for and given to us as our blood-bought inheritance. It is yours. Christ paid for it with his blood. When that voice speaks and says, you can't really pray, you sinned, you don't really have access, do not listen to it, it is a lie. That blood has secured your access now and forever. And when the enemy speaks and wants to divide you and I from one another, do not listen. Our unity as believers within our local churches between our local churches, has been secured and bought for by Christ. For a Christian, alienation from God and fellow believers can only be skin deep, while unity with God and one another runs in the blood, and it flows from our marrow. It's who you are.
and it is who I am. Thanks be to God for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that is united to him and to one another. Amen. We're going to go ahead and stand, and the team is going to be leading us in worship, and then we are going to come to the Lord's table together to celebrate what Christ has done for us. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You may have your seats. Tonight we remember the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sin. The first Good Friday was filled with horrific pain, torment, and alienation as Christ became our sin offering. It's appropriate to approach this table with sobriety and mourning because for us to enjoy the benefits of Jesus' work, it meant that Jesus would take the deepest anguish possible. All in our place, all by his grace, and all in love. Friends, this meal should not be treated lightly. It is a gift for only those who see that our sin placed Jesus under the wrath of God on that judgment tree and have responded to this truth by repenting from sin and turning to follow Christ, the one who delivers us from sin's curse and captivity. And as we who have faith in Christ come to this table, we come in faith. We come aware that Jesus washed away all of our sin. And we come embracing him as our soul and our vibrant and our active hope. Amen. So at this time, the ushers can begin to distribute the elements. If you, are if you are counted as a child of God by faith in the Son of God, who loved you and gave himself for you, if you have repented and committed to follow him as Lord of all, take the bread, take the juice, and prepare by offering silent prayers of thanksgiving to Christ for his great sacrifice. But if you're not yet a Christian, let me encourage you to allow these elements to, to, to pass from you, but don't let this day pass. Today is the day of salvation. Hear the good news of Christ's sacrifice for you, that you might be saved by placing your trust in him and by turning to follow him. As the ushers are distributing the elements, please consider silent prayer. Just for our friends at Crosspoint, if you don't know, we have gluten-free. If you do need that, if you raise your hand, 
I think Brett would agree that there are few people that that share theology and friendship and joy as pastors as he and I do. And I I know have the same feeling as he had as he was standing up here and looking out over representatives from both congregations, just being filled with joy at the unity of worshiping together. That is a blessing. That is wonderful. We praise God for that. But neither one of us, though we share this desire to see the church unified around the true and, and, and passionate preaching of God's word, word and the, the mission of Jesus Christ, neither one of us, and I'm sure most people here in this room are under no illusion that that comes by human work. See, we just looked at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21, and, and in that time, Brett explained something, that the work of Jesus ended alienation between us and God, and it placed us in union with fellow Christians. So to be unified with God is a, is, is a reality that was extremely costly. It meant torment and death for the Savior. As we take this bread, we're remembering something more than just a historical event, though it's not less than that. We're remembering something more. We're remembering that his body bore a curse, a curse of death. He was physically beaten. He was tormented. He was hung on a cross and then laid in a grave, bearing in his body a curse that was our curse, the curse that was due our sin. For us to have unity together as fellow Christians, make no mistake, make no mistake about it. What we bring to the equation is the curse of our sin. But it was in his body that he brought an end to the power of sin, an end to the penalty of sin. And he was raised to life as an overcomer. So in light of the glorious reality of the victory of Jesus won on our behalf, Let's take the bread in unity and in thanksgiving. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, Jesus took the cup and he blessed it and he gave thanks and he told us that what he was about to do was going to be pouring out the blood of a new covenant. This was going to be a sign of forgiveness to come as with the Old Covenant, but, but it was a ratification and a completion of the promises of God. What Jesus was about to do on the cross, which he, he has done already on our behalf, sealed our forgiveness. So this cup is a new cup. This isn't a cup of the Old Covenant. No, this is a, a new cup, a new covenant, a ratified, sealed set of promises that Jesus delivers to us. And it was sealed, not by the blood of lambs, but by the blood of the lamb, his own blood. At the cross, he would bleed as a spring of life-giving, purifying blood would flow. And his blood would become the river that would wash away the record of wrong for everyone who calls upon his name. 
Friends, in his blood, sinners are purified into saints. Rebels become children, and the weak become strong. We take this cup, nourished by the truth of grace, that he has brought us into unity with God and with one another. So in light of this, we partake aware of his cleansing power and in light of our new status. Let's drink the cup of unity, the cup with unity and thanksgiving in our hearts. Join me in praying together. Lord Jesus, all of our hope is in you. All of our joy is in you. All power for life and godliness is found in the wellspring of who you are, the fount of every blessing. So, Lord, we thank you for the unity that we have with one another, but we remember that that's the fruit of the unity that we have with you, Heavenly Father, because of what Jesus has done and, and applied and, and, and made vibrant by the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for, for this meal, which reminds us how you sustain us with gospel grace. You, in, in fact, are here to feed us with grace directly from what you did on the cross 2,000 years in our place. And Lord, we praise you for powerful, worshipful living that results from the new life that, that, that springs from the empty tomb. As we celebrate Easter in just three days, Lord, we are reminded that, that newness of life comes because you stepped away from the curse of death. You stepped away from the curse of sin, having put an end to it and defeated it forever so that we who are now in union with you could live a life of worship unto the Father as you did, uh, Jesus, in, in your life here on this earth. And we praise you for that reality. So now we turn back to you and worship every bit, every corner of our life, thankful for our unity and eager to glorify your name with our lives. We pray these things for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand again together as we return to sing a song of response and worship, amazed by the love of our amazing King. Receive now the blessing of God the Father through the work of Jesus the Son, applied by the Holy Spirit. This is from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.